I say it's not the life I expected, but in many ways, it's a life beyond my expectations. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? This episode is brought to you by the San Mateo County Fair. This June, get ready for some jungle love when Morris Day and the Time perform at the San Mateo County Fair. Morris Day hits the main stage of the fair on Saturday, June 8th, which is opening day. An all-main stage concert general admission seating is free with fair admission. If you want to get up close to do the bird, you can get reserved seating with Gold Circle Admission, which includes fair admission plus reserved prime seating in the Fiesta Hall, which is the main stage. You know, the nice thing about county fair concerts, if I may paraphrase Mr. Day, is that you don't need no finesse or no personality. You just need two arms and an attitude, and I'm guessing you already have those. Find more information and tickets at SanMateoCountyFair.com. That's SanMateoCountyFair.com. Hey everyone, I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and I want to welcome you to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, where we can get real heated about Ducky versus Blaine and Tab versus Diet Coke. If you also have thoughts about those things, thoughts which aging has not yet stolen from you, you're in the right place. So the big news is that tickets are now available to the live episode taping of the Midlife Mixtape Podcast at the Beta Brand Podcast Theater in San Francisco on Thursday, May 30th. The tickets are free, but you do have to get one ahead of time to reserve your spot, so head on over to the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page for more details and a link to tickets, or go to midlifemixtape.com and look on the right-hand sidebar. There's a link right there. I'm hoping to fill the place. You know, we have a lot of fun planned. We've got prizes for audience participation, and actually, I'm looking at the box of prizes in my office right now, so please help me get rid of these. Not that I want to get rid of them. They're good prizes. They're just taking up space. So May 30th, check it out. On to today's topic. A few weeks back, I received an email from listener Michelle Simic and wanted to share a snippet of what she wrote to me. I'd love it if you'd have a guest on who does not have kids. Many Gen Xers don't procreate for a variety of reasons. Right time, wrong guy. Wrong guy, wrong time. Or still being riot girls and rebelling against societal norms. Or the biological clock ran out. Or a combination of all. And honestly, when I look at my closest friends from my prime Gen X years, most of us are childless. Empty nest syndrome is not a thing for us. Most of the time, I'm cool with that, and I celebrate my freedom, but sometimes even I have a twinge of regret. I'd really like to hear thoughts from a childless podcast guest. I have to confess that as someone with two kids who moves in social circles with a lot of moms, until I got Michelle's email, I hadn't really given much thought about presenting the topic on the podcast. We're all in our own bubbles, right? So I did a little digging to find out what's up with Gen X women and rates of motherhood. And it turns out we aren't having as many children as our mothers and grandmothers. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, the provisional number of births for the United States in 2017 was 3.8 million, which was down 2% from 2016 and the lowest number in 30 years. The general fertility rate was 60.2 births per thousand women aged 15 to 44, which was also down 3% from 2016, and another record low for the United States. So compare 60.2 births per thousand women in 2016 to 122.7 per thousand women back in 1957. So for sure, birth rates are declining. The decline is continuing with the millennials. And the reasons behind it are numerous and complex and way beyond the purview of this little podcast to explain. 
But the upshot is that the likelihood that you know someone around your age who doesn't and may never have kids is higher than it's ever been. And like Michelle said in her note to me, that sizable population may be having different feelings and experiences as they go into midlife than someone like me could be having. So I wanted to invite someone onto the show who could address at least a slice of that experience, and it was easy to know who when I came across research that today's guest has published on the issue. Melanie Notkin is the author of Otherhood, Modern Women Finding a New Kind of Happiness, and founder of the Savvy Auntie website. Savvy Auntie is a community for cool aunts, great aunts, godmothers, and all women who love kids. Melanie's also done a ton of research on what she has termed Generation Pank, Not hanky-panky, I know how you guys think. It's Generation Pank that stands for Professional Ants, No Kids. It's the demographic of adults who are not yet parents, yet wield tremendous social and economic influence. Now, I want to make it clear that while we talk a lot about moms and ants in this episode, men and uncles may be facing some of the exact same pressures and feelings. So let's hear what Melanie Notkin of Savvy Auntie has to say on the subject. Thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. You're very welcome. You know, I am always curious to know this when a guest comes on to the program. What was your first concert and what were the circumstances? You know, I can tell you exactly that it was May 13th, 1985. How do you remember that? Tell me that's not just in the in the memory pan, because if it is, I need to know what kind of memory supplements you're taking. Oh, no, I Googled it. Okay, good. I totally Googled it. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, It was the the No Jacket Required concert by... Phil Collins. uh, Phil Collins. Yes. There you go. Phil, see, I now remember. Phil Collins, No Jacket Required. Yeah, it was high school. Yeah, those were the days. days. Where was the concert? Where, Where were you at the time? I believe it was at the Montreal Forum. I'm from Montreal. I now live in New York 25 years American citizen, all that, but I grew up in Montreal, and that's where it was. Very nice. I think concerts are one of those places where uh, a savvy auntie can really score points with a niece or nephew, right? I mean, your parents won't take you to see that rapper, but I will, honey, that kind of thing. I mean, exactly, and not only that, but we will spend all those dollars on the memorabilia and I mean, now you don't have to buy CDs like I, you know, used to, but buy every single possible thing that will make this child or teenager happy. A friend who, who took her nieces, I I think it was way back. It could have been Hannah Montana or or something Mm -hmm. like a, a decade ago. And she like, then she had a sleepover party for them and did the whole themed Hannah Montana. So with the savvy auntie, it's not just the concert; it's it's the whole gestalt. It's the whole experience, and it's also doing stuff that the parents are not going to lay down cash for. So, kids, if you're listening, roll up on your aunts and say, "Hey, I really want to go see this show, but Mom says it's too expensive." The aunts will take care of you. That's what we're here for. I mean, exactly. Let's start talking about Generation Pank. So you've come mm. up with an acronym that I love, Professional Ants No Kids. I think that's your own invention. Correct. I coined okay. the term in 2008. Talk to me a little bit about mm. what that demographic is. Who is that and why is that important to to recognize and acknowledge? Well, the sweet spot is Generation X. Of course, now older millennials and maybe young boomers, but the, the sweet spot is happens to be Generation X. This is the generation of women, the the daughters of feminism, the women who expected 
that we'd have the education and career access that our mothers and aunts didn't necessarily have, but we'd also have the husband and kids that they did have. Or the wife and kids. Well, I was just going to say, or the <laughs> wife and kids, or whatever, your your partnership, whatever it is. And among the most well-educated, most financially independent women in America, many remain childless and many remain single. And of this cohort, those who are more educated tend to remain childless because they want to have a child within the context of marriage. And we also know that women are not getting married or even living with somebody, having that long-term relationship, and therefore are not having children. And when we are having children, because the, the truth is the majority of women do go on to have children, we're having them much later than the generations before. In fact, you're more likely by age 30 to not have had a child on your 30th birthday than, than being a mom. So we are definitely this new generation of women who don't have children. And by the way, I, I was referring mostly here to women who want children in general, those who expected that they'd have children. And of course, there are women who prefer not to have children right? or through challenges of infertility and other health issues are unable to have children. But the majority of women want or expected to have children. And so we've got this growing cohort of women who are not only spending a longer period of time before having children, but they're also dealing with the fact that they aren't mothers if they wanted to be mothers. And here we have this gap between sort of college and and motherhood that we never had before that the boomers didn't really have. Of course, it sort of started with them. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, Sex and the City, Candace Bushnell, who who originally wrote, um, you know, the, the book Sex and City, which was a column in the New York Observer, she's a, a young boomer. And it was already then that it was starting that women were having children later, but still it's even later now, especially for the, the older millennials. They're now wondering if motherhood is in the picture for them. Well, a lot of the same factors that led to Generation X having relatively high levels of women who weren't who aren't mothers are still present for millennials because I was doing a little reading on this. Uh, there's a Pew study that I'll link to in the show notes. There's a Pew Trust story that talks about some of the factors. And, you know, there's it's everything from the fact that, yeah, Gen X women were educated in numbers as high as their male counterparts. And that was a first in our generation. The cost of college went up as we were attending it. Nothing like what our kids are experiencing, but college costs rise. It takes a longer time to pay off your debt. There's questions of our careers hitting some economic bumps, the Great Recession, all these places where we would have expected to have wealth accumulate. And that can be, for some people, one of the preconditions to feeling secure enough to start a family. Yes. That isn't always present. It hasn't always been present in Generation X. It's certainly not present for millennials. Are there other reasons? What are the other reasons why there are so many of us who don't have kids? And, and I just want to say, I, I really appreciate on your Savvy Auntie site, which is Savvy Auntie. Com, and I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes. You can also find 
Melanie and the Savvy Aunties over on Facebook. But one of the things that I appreciate is that you talk about childless by choice, childish. Let, I'm going to say that again so it doesn't come out like childish by choice, <laughs> which is me a lot of the time. Childless by choice, childless by circumstance, and childless by challenge. So there's lots of reasons people may fall into this demographic. You know, we just want to be really careful to acknowledge that there's lots of ways that people end up here. And, you know, it makes it an interesting conversation. It's not a a, a homogeneous group of people or a a homogeneous set of feelings around the issue. That's correct. Another reason or other reasons why women are remaining childless longer, um, all of the points that you that you made, Pew points to this as, as to some other research, but those all focus on the woman. It does take two to tango. It's not That's like, what you know, the kids call it these days. <laughs> it's not like young men are, are, are standing on the street corners with signs saying, I want to get married and have children, <laughs> which is why I, I sort of, you know, resent the fact that women are called delayers. Calls, calls them delayers. Where did that come from? Well, in fact, back, I think it was 2012, the U.S. Census came out with a report about the quote unquote delayer boom. College educated women, 35 plus are having children later. And they call these women delayers, you know, as if men can't wait to have children at age 25. And in fact, that is part of childless by circumstance, whereby women want to have a child with a man they love or woman they love. But in this case, let's focus on, on on the heterosexual men who they themselves are delaying marriage and children. And they, you know, are dealing with the same factors in terms of education that, you know, the financial cost of debt from student loans and, you know, maybe still 10 plus years later after the recession. There are financial issues there too, of course, but also men just are not putting marriage, parenthood, and believe it or not, career at the same level of priority as women are. And that's another peer research study that came out just two years ago. And so we are looking at a cohort of women who, you know, you'd said that we're at the same level in terms of college education. In fact, there are more women graduating college now. And part of the reason why women aren't getting married younger, most universities, um, the majority are women. And when the majority are women you know, the men have pick of the litter. So it, there's all that dynamic that starts already college campus. The reason why women are um, looking at career, making that a priority more so than men, is partly because A, they've invested in college education and, and they have to pay back their student loans, but also right. because millennial women see their older Gen X sisters and say, wow, if that fabulous woman, if that 40-year-old woman who excels in everything in her life She's physically fit and she's attractive. I mean, there's no reason why she would not find everything she wants in terms of her family life. If it's happening to her, it could happen to me. And so therefore... I need to make sure that I can take care of myself and make sure that my career affords the lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is. And Mm -hmm. also these women have an extra huge expense. Many of them, they don't have to do it, but many of them are The millennial women now we're talking about. Yes. And and younger Gen X is our fertility financial challenges 
like egg freezing and paying for the storage of those eggs. And then if they decide to use those eggs, whether with a partner or even on their own, as those heading toward the, the end of their fertility um, are choosing to do. So that can be ten, literally tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So we've got these women who, you know, saying, look, I, I know how to take care of myself and they need the, the income to be able to, to do that. So there are a lot of factors. And then there's the issues of being this, the generation, again, the, the daughters of feminism, and then sort of, sort of sandwiched between the, that second wave of feminism and this new third wave of feminism, where dating is a little bit different than it was, and that certainly that the younger generations are looking at it. In fact, younger, the younger generation doesn't even want to call it dating. You know, that's about the, you know, young people, God, I sound so old when I say that, <laughs> young people go out together in group, and dating is not something where a man courts a woman. And in fact, men who really want a relationship want to feel like they're, they're courting a woman, and they want to know that that woman needs him and here already it's very possible that especially for the younger set that she's earning more than him because she's more likely a college graduate right. so women are making all these choices and and men are a little bit confused of what their role is so it, it's really an interesting generation where we're kind of heading into it a little bit blindly and that the, the feminist movement of, of our mothers was really thankfully a successful experiment but here we are now living in it and dealing with things that we didn't necessarily expect would happen. It's interesting because I, I think about one of the great commercials of the Gen X era was the Anjali woman. And in fact, yes. I went to a 70s disco party recently and I dressed as the Anjali woman. I knew what I was inside. I don't think anybody who saw me understood that, but I knew I could bring <laughs> home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. Yep. But it's really that message that we got bombarded with as kids, like, yeah, you're going to work, but you're also going to the family. And I think that was a real disservice. <laughs> it's a great idea. You can have everything. But I think a lot of us have learned through hard experience, you can have it all, but not all at the same time. Exactly. And in some cases, some of us gave up career ambitions when we became mothers. And that, you know, not to say that we didn't work at all, though some people made that choice too, but some of us just kind of tempered our expectations. Other people went full steam ahead with the careers, but they had to not have the kids. There just wasn't space for it. And I think all of us made different sacrifices. I do think that the next generation coming through is looking at it much more clear-eyed than we were maybe allowed to in the sense that I think the fight for the ERA and everything else was so hard, hard fought that to say, okay, I don't want to have it all was a little bit, you know, maybe it would have been perceived mm. as disrespectful. This next generation coming through kind of sees very clearly where they have to make some choices. What's also interesting is we're all, Gen X, we're all in our 40s and our 50s, a lot of the women who were childless by choice are pretty soon going to be childless by biology. I mean, I right. don't know about you. I don't want to be a 62-year-old mother. So right. that puts things in a different light because maybe for those people who chose not to, t to follow that path, there's some finality that's sort of looming in the future that I think must be something that you wrestle with. I mean, is that something you mm -hmm. see in your Savvy Auntie community? Yeah. So I created Savvy Auntie, you know, I launched in 2008. And I was then in my late 30s and, you know, I very much wanted 
love marriage and, and motherhood and still have the opportunity for love and marriage one day, I hope. I hope it comes sooner than later. But I very much, I could imagine that I wasn't going to be a mother and yet here I am. And I say it's not a, the life I expected, but in many ways, it's a life beyond my expectations. But I saw that when I would get together with my girlfriends, we were talking about our nieces and nephews. And it wasn't just me and my friends and their friends. There was this whole cohort of women who are besotted by their by the children, their life by choice, their their siblings, kids, or young cousins, or by relation rather, or by choice, their their best friends. Right, and, because you make the point that an aunt doesn't have to be by blood. That's any young child who you have a loving relationship with, exactly, or even grown child. Yeah. you know, it's it's about that special bond a woman has with a child not her own. And of course, there are aunts who, especially aunts who had a, a niece or nephew before they became mothers themselves. So of course there are moms who are aunts as well, you know, and, and they're certainly included in what I call the entourage, A-U-N-T. Oh, but it's cute. Yeah, thank you. I have a lot of aunt words. Um, <laughs> but it's really this pank, the professional aunt, no kids, of which there are about 23 million who are ages 20 to 50 in the U.S. and about 20, estimate about 27 million overall. These are estimates, again, because of the, the data really just goes up to the end of fertility. So we we have this growing cohort of women who are, you know, having their first child later than ever and yet have this discretionary income and time um, that they're spending on their nieces and nephews. And yet they're not recognized by society, by media, by marketers. How are they supposed to know, you know, what the coolest new toy is or how are they supposed to know what that the concert that their niece or nephew says, can you please take me to this concert? And they've never heard of, of the, the talent before. You know, I wanted to give them an opportunity to be savvy so that they felt as secure and, and savvy in, in their most important role that they, they felt as most important as an aunt, as just as they were in, in their career and in their friendships and other relationships. Speaking so, as a parent, you can't have enough people like that in your child's mm-hmm. life. I mean, it's, a, it's so wonderful to have another adult who adores your child and you know, wants to do stuff with them and builds up their self-esteem and takes an interest in them. I mean, it's just, it's a win-win for a family. Agreed, agreed. And so it's, it's the mothers who open up their arms and, and embrace the, their relationship with the aunt in, in their family or their family village because... God forbid something happens to them, you know, or they're out of town or, you know, or they need a two hour break and they just need somebody who likes their kid to say, yeah, drop them off at my house. Go get your hair done. Right. Exactly. But it also runs deeper than that. I've coined the term again. Here's another ant word, qual anti time. Um, We you know, kid, we know that zero to three, especially, but throughout their childhood, children need free playtime, and that's very difficult for moms, especially working moms, moms with more than one child, to give to their children. But when when auntie visits, especially with young kids, it is about play, right. and so here we add to their cognitive, emotional, and social development. And wow, what a gift there there is there. And then, of course, as they get older, the the aunt here's another one becomes the confidant. aunt. You know, we, we all know oh, that you're full we, of them, Melanie. Oh, You've got a billion of those them. words, don't I you? I do, I do, I do. You know, we all know because we were kids once ourselves that there's some things that we we maybe we should tell our parents. We're afraid to tell our parents. What you know, an aunt is sort of the perfect testing ground. I I say, you know, we're not their mom. We're not their friend. 
we're their aunt, the perfect blend. Because we will care about them. If they come to us with a problem, their well-being is is number one. If God forbid they're hurting themselves or they are in danger, we know we have to tell the parents we are not the parent and the parents rule. But if it's something that they're coming to us in confidence, you know, you know, there are a lot of teenagers who come out to their aunt first, assuming the the relationship is as we're all imagining it, as I'm saying, this, a good relationship, right? If they go, if they can come out to the aunt, it's a good test. She's a good like, okay, well, don't worry, I'll be, I'll be there when you tell your parents or, you know, it's stuff like that. They may go to the aunt for she, she becomes the confidant. And then she has a different worldview. And so that mom is a stay at home mom, or if it's two moms, or if it's two dads, that aunt could be the one who, who doesn't have children of their own. And she's, she's traveling all the time for work and comes back with all her wonderful stories of travel, or maybe she's an extraordinary artist. And the kid is getting inspired by how, how the aunt, his or her aunt is an artist. And, and wow, and she bought me all this, all these materials because she saw maybe something in me. We can all aspire to be Auntie Mame. Make it work for your the young people in your life. Yeah, I mean, this is the opportunity where a child is in a safe space where that child or an adolescent can test things out, can, you know, sort of expand, exercise, stretch their personalities when they're with around, do the things that their parents aren't as comfortable or, or they annoy their parents with it or whatever it is. Here, when they're with Auntie, Auntie's like, okay, let's do it. Let's right. try it. So coming back to this idea yeah. of, you know, your book, you have a book called Otherhood. Yes, uh, it's my second book. It's a reported memoir where I narrate it, having spoken to a number of women and men. Otherhood, modern women finding a new kind of happiness. And it's about this experience, again, of Gen X, who expected the love, marriage, children, and career and education that her moms didn't have. And it's about dating and about sex and about relationships and about the pain and grief for those who want children and dealing with that and making decisions and dealing with all of this at the same time. And of course, also dealing with how other people judge them and or make make assumptions about them. For instance, the term career woman, as if we don't have to pay the rent. I don't know what the alternative is. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask. You know, what are the things that those of us with kids could be doing better for our cohort who don't have kids? I mean, what are the ways in which, you know, there's opportunities for us to connect a little bit more meaningfully uh, and be more empathetic to people who are childless by choice, by circumstance, or by challenge? In a way, by challenge is in a way it's understood more and that people get what it is. Generally, it's because she's part of a couple and they're trying. And if she knows about it, you know, it's it's information. And so, of course, she's going to be sympathetic and helpful and supportive and, and all of that. But for the woman who's childless by circumstance, she may be dealing with disenfranchised grief, the type of grief that is not accepted by many people because it's not traditional. And when people will say, well, Melanie, you know, let's say it's to me, that's not real grief. That couple, that woman, a part of a couple, they're really trying. She had two failed IVFs. And my response is, and I say mine, this is a, you know, part of the, the this cohort is, but I don't even get to try. Mm. And, and at least she has a, you know, shoulder to cry on. You know, we menstruate every month. When you menstruate, that is grief. It's a mini death, but that's what it is. It's another month has come and gone and we're not having children, or maybe we just broke up with somebody. And so, 
you know, what, what a mom can do is, you know, a, a mom, a peer can be sensitive to the fact that talking about, you know, at lunch or at holidays or what have you, but, oh my God, did you hear so-and-so? She's pregnant. Oh my God. It was just the assumption that she doesn't feel anything because she's not married is a, is an odd assumption to make. In fact, if anything, it could be much harder for her because she's not even at that point. Or it could be that, say she, and I, I wrote a piece from New York Post about this a couple of weeks ago, where it's about seven years since it became more viable for a woman to freeze her eggs. It became part of the more public conversation. So now these women, if they've remained single, now they really have to decide as they edge toward 50 or they are 50. What are they going to do with these eggs? Are they going to have a baby on their own? You get, you know, get some sperm, have a baby on their own? Or are they going to keep paying those storage fees that, you know, about a thousand dollars a year just in case? Are they going to hope that the next guy they date is going to be the one? Their their grief is not only is not only disenfranchised grief; it has been stretched out another decade than than it was a generation ago. Where by the time you hit forty, forty two, and there wasn't any signs for fertility, you had to grieve, and eventually, I'm not saying it was easy, move on. So it's not that she's 48 and not grieving anymore. She may be going through a different level of it. And I say grief because it is, it's grief over the life that you expected and that it's the one thing you can't control. Falling in love is not a thing you can control. And so being sensitive around that. Just have to remember to think a little bit about what we say and to whom we're saying it. Trust that she knows all the, all the advice you're going to give her. She probably knows. Like, have you been, have you trying the app? Like she's doing it all right. She's got it. She knows she's aware. Of course, to be helpful, maybe, you know, somebody think of somebody, et cetera, like, you know, you can help, but it's really just about listening and not judging and, and being there for her and of course like we said earlier embrace her relationship with your children and encourage that relationship and respect that relationship and I created something in 2009 established Auntie's Day which is the fourth Sunday in July so Sunday July 28th you know even if it's just a text just acknowledge everything that she does for your children and that will go a long way give her that acknowledgement that her love her maternal love for your children is valuable to you. And I think that is very powerful, very meaningful, and will go a long way. That's a great idea. So lots of information and resources and more discussion over on the Savvy Auntie Facebook page. So get over there if you guys are interested in hearing from Melanie and and the rest of the Savvy Aunties on the topic. All right, Melanie, I'm going to ask you the last question we always ask, which is what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you? Or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Well, actually, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that my mother taught me when I was I was four years old, turning five, and I was trying to get my boots on all by myself. My mother was patiently sitting on the bench, you know, waiting for me, not helping me because she knew I was very independent. And I said, Mommy, Mommy, I'm going to be, I remember saying this, I'm almost five. I'm big. I'm almost five. I can't wait to be five. And my mother said, don't wish your life away. <laughs> and she, um, I, I didn't know, but she was, she was ill. She, she passed away when she was 52 and I oh was, goodness. I was 19. And so I've taken that with me. And so except for maybe when I'm, I'm in the dentist chair, there are very <laughs> few times when I just want to get over things, whatever that journey is, whatever that experience is, however painful, 
don't wish to rush through it. Take advantage of every moment of your life. Enjoy every moment of your life. Don't go on a date and and wish it were over because he's not for you. Be there. Experience him. Try to learn something from him. Enjoy the dinner. You know, just experience and enjoy life in the moment. Don't wish your life away. And I'm saying that, well, I would tell my younger self, remind her of that. And and my nieces, I've taught them. I taught them that. They remind me I've taught them that. They remember that from when they were four, almost five. And I remind myself of that every day. Don't wish your life away. That's such great advice. Melanie Notkin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I have to say, I think that being an aunt is one of the best and most underrated jobs on the planet. I became an aunt for the first time at 19, and I didn't have kids until I was 31. So I had like a full decade of very focused spoiling on my nieces and nephews. And I'm still tight with those kids who are now in their 20s and 30s. So it had a lasting benefit. I mean, I am still an adult they can come to who who will definitely say to them like, no, it wasn't your fault. You're awesome. You're the best. And on the flip side, if you read the blog, you know, I'm still really tight with my 91-year-old Aunt Noonie. I talked to her this week and she called someone we know a horse's ass. So the legend lives on. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Did it answer some questions for you? Did it raise others? You can email me at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Midlife Mixtape. Please join me next episode when I'll be talking with Jacqueline Jacobs-Caster. She and I will be talking about Giving Circles, her Every Child Foundation, which makes a $1 million grant every year to a project serving a critical unmet need of Los Angeles area children, is one end of the scale of Giving Circles, and mine, which donates somewhere closer to $700 to $1,000 to a cause each time we meet. And hopefully between the two of us, we're going to give you a sense of whether this particular means of community engagement and community building could work for you. It's a really great way to make and deepen friendships at midlife. And I'm really excited to hear how hers got so big because ours hasn't. (laughs) I think think it might have to do with chocolate and the wine we serve at ours. I'm just guessing. Anyway, I hope you guys will tune in and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks so much for listening. I wanna be, I wanna be free by what